Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. Matthew 13 has been a series of parables where Jesus has been teaching the crowd. This follows the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has been teaching, and he recently taught in the verses above this, the parable of the four soils, which was a understood parable because the way people planted back then, your average farmer, would be to grab a handful of seed and just throw it in the field. And then as they would either water or they would wait for the rains to water and then wheat would come up and then they could harvest the wheat and sell it or make bread and sell it or make it for their large family or whatever reason they had for planting. And so he continues the idea of planting in verse 24. It says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field by casting it out. But when his men were sleeping, as people will, we do sleep at night and let plants grow. Plants do not have to be watched, for example. They will grow on their own. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So the idea of this is that there is a a farmer who has very good intentions, but there is a, perhaps a neighboring farmer, perhaps an enemy of the family, that while the farmer is sleeping, the enemy is putting weeds or tares, T-A-R-E-S is what the King James says, that is a type of weed, in amongst the wheat. And so when the servants got up and they said, hey, somebody did this, and the master says, let them grow together, and at the harvest time, we'll be able to tell them apart. And so this type of weed, as I said, is a tear, and it looks exactly like wheat. There is a family of weeds that when it is growing, you cannot tell it next to uh, wheat. So you take a a, a pan of dirt, and you put a wheat seed and a tare seed and water it and put it in the sunlight. As they come up, if you spin the pan around, you won't be able to tell which is which. For as long as they grow, and the type of wheat that was used in the Middle East back then took on average eight months to mature. So you planted and then you waited and you waited and you waited and you waited for eight months and then you could harvest the wheat. And during that seven and a half months, the tares, the weeds, the unedible weeds looked exactly like wheat. When it reaches maturity, 
the wheat gets the kernel at the top and then gets this wispy wheatgrass at the top. The tear just keeps growing and after about eight months, it will begin to wind around the wheat because it wants something to hold on to as it gets taller and it gets taller. And so you may ask the question, how far-fetched was this? How often does this happen? This happened enough that the Romans actually had a law against planting weeds in somebody else's farm. Apparently it was so, people were so vicious about land as the Roman Empire grew and as people were running out of land or farmland and they didn't want to have a little farm here and a little farm here and a little farm over here, there's a farm right here next to me. So if I can bankrupt that farmer, I can take their land cheap. And apparently this was so widespread of planting bad seed amongst the good seed that the Romans, who were the world leaders at that time, made a Roman Empire law that if you did that, if it was caught and it was proven that you sowed bad seed in somebody else's land, your land would be taken away and given to them. And so there isn't a lot in the Bible to say how common this was, but if the government makes it a law and writes it in their books, and that's how we know is the Roman law has survived, you can look it up and you can see that it must have been so bad and so prevalent that it made its way to Caesar. So the idea of Jesus telling this story, everybody in his hearing, in this large crowd uh, who was hearing him preach, all of them would know somebody who or would know a Roman official or would understand that this was a problem, that this was a difficulty, and that this could actually happen. And so what do you do if you are sowing wheat and somebody throws weeds in there? Well, how would they know? First of all, they had a known number of wheat seeds. It was measured by bushels. And they either collected it from last season or they bought it. And they knew exactly how many bushels they had. These were professional farmers who had been working this land through multiple generations. And so they knew on average that if they planted this many seeds, they would have this many plants come up. And so they plant this many seeds and five times as many plants come up, wall-to-wall -wall plants. And that's their evidence initially that these, there are weeds in there, this, uh, an enemy has done this to you. And Jesus says that we're going to figure it out at the harvest. Now there's no evidence. The Romans didn't write about it. There's no evidence about the right way to handle this when you wake up in the morning and you have just weeds everywhere. Okay? So Jesus saying this, we don't know if this was normal. We don't know if this was average to wait until harvest. 
But that's what he says. And he says at the end of, at the, end of the harvest, he'll tell the reapers, who are apparently more gifted than the planters, and they will be able to go and take the weeds first and the wheat second, and the weeds get thrown in the fire, and the wheat goes in the barn. Then he does a intermission, and he talks about two other parables, which we shall talk about in later Sundays. But then in verse 36, he has the, the people alone. The disciples are in a house. They're away from the crowds, and Jesus is going to tell them what this means, just the twelve and perhaps their wives. And they will understand it while the main group will not understand it at this time. And this goes back to uh, what I said before of the, the general population led by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Levites and the priestly class had led the people astray. And people who followed them hook, line, and sinker were telling God that I don't believe you, that I want to follow man-made rules, that I want to follow man-made laws to get blessings that way. I want to get blessings by works and not by God's grace or God's love. And so for generations this has been going and Jesus is saying the time for them to get true teaching because they got true teaching. They got true teaching all throughout the books that we call the prophets and the prophets were killed and the prophets were jailed or thrown in cisterns or uh, sawed in two. They were basically ignored God's true teaching as people went into Baal worship and Malak worship and worship of false gods and Jesus is saying to the general populace, God's done giving truth, that he's going to give truth to this small group, and then when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll expand back out. And whatever reasons God has for that, whether it is to keep the interpretation true, if you have a group of 12, it's easier to give individual instruction than if you have a group of 3,000. And so what is the interpretation? The interpretation is that uh, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Son of Man is the name that Jesus gave himself. It shows two things. It shows his humanity, but it is also the title given to Messiah in the book of Daniel. And so Jesus, by calling himself Son of Man, to those who knew the Old Testament, which the Pharisees, Sadducees, and priestly class did very well. Many of them had memorized the Old Testament. So they know that when he's saying that, he's making a, a claim of Messiahship. And that is one reason they did not like him. And so it isn't just words that Jesus is saying. He is actually referring to himself as he often did in the third person. The field is the world. Now, when we say the world, what does that mean? Well, it means the world. It doesn't mean Jerusalem only. It doesn't mean Israel only. It means everywhere in the world, God is saving people. And as people in the world are saved, they gather into churches. 
So one way to look at it is the field are the churches in the world. Um, it is, you go, even go to the more difficult places, your China, your Iran, your Saudi Arabia. Christians are meeting in secret, but we will still call that living room or that basement or that attic a church if they are gathered together worshiping and praising God and teaching His truth. So a church doesn't have to be a big building like this. It doesn't have to be a cathedral. It can be wherever Christians are gathering together. So the God is saving people in the world and we are forming churches. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the kingdom, people who are saved, who really follow Jesus Christ, who believe in Him are sons of God, who are people who inherit or are adopted into the family of God. And so we are sons and daughters of the kingdom. If you are a believer, you are, even though you're here in San Lorenzo, you are in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, is within you. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the question we have is, what does this mean? And I think what it means, and what a lot of people think it means, is that Satan has so confused some people and so worked in their hearts that they want to be with Christians. Perhaps they think they are saved. And they will join an assembly, a community like this, and depending on how discerning we are, we may not be able to tell if that person is saved or not. They will say all the right things. They will do all the right things. And Jesus is saying that this is going to be this way, that there are going to be in any gathering true Christians, true believing Christians, and fake Christians false Christians. Some of, some of them may know exactly what they're doing. They may come to a church for the purpose of disrupting. Others may be deluded and think that they understand what it means to be saved, and they will go to a church because that's where Christians hang out. And so you will have in any assembly, and the larger the assembly, the larger percentage you have of fake Christians and true Christians, the smaller an assembly, the smaller, the more trusting we have, the more vulnerable you are, we could say, and it's more difficult for a false Christian, a false believer to come in here and take over, for example, as happens in some churches. A group of false believers have taken over some churches, and books have been written about this. And so Jesus is going to let this happen and let this continue until the end of the age. And the end of the age is when Jesus Christ returns. That is talked about in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus actually calls to angels to reap the world twice. First, all the unbelievers and then all the believers and all the unbelievers go into the fire and all the believers 
go into heaven is the division and the division of all those who are alive will take place during uh, or right before sometime in the tribulation. Uh, we can, everybody has an opinion on the timing of the end times. We'll figure it out when we see it happen and we'll go, aha, that's how it's happening. So there is at the end of time, Jesus Christ is returning and during his returning, right before his returning, sometime during his returning, the Christians are taken away. We call that the rapture. You actually disappear and you appear in heaven and that's called the rapture while the unsaved people are all taken to a different place. And so this parable is a parable of judgment. The important thing is you are not the judge, okay? You are not the Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition was a group of Christians, Catholic Christians, who looked at this parable and said, we're the judge. And so they started going door to door looking at people's behavior. And if you had a bad book or your dress was too short or your shirt was too, you know, the wrong stripe color or something like that, you were taken and you were tortured and you were eventually killed because they thought that you were a tear or you were a weed amongst the Christians. There have been several movements in the Christian church since Jesus Christ of people who said, well, look at this parable. We're going to purify the church. And they begin looking at people and they begin studying people. And if people are not doing the right thing or their hair is not cut right or whatever, then they're challenged and if they don't change they're excommunicated. Now the difficulty of that is that if I am going to be the judge of who is saved or unsaved then I've got to come up with a list of unbiblical requirements to put on you because the Bible never gives any permission or authority for one human being to judge the salvation of another human being. So even though this is a parable about judgment, God is the only judge. I'm not a judge. You're not a judge. God is the only one who can look at wheat and look at tares and know who's saved and unsaved because he's the one who saved people. And God who forgets nothing, he knows if he saved you or not. He knows if you're saved because your Christ's blood was applied to your sin. And if he looks at somebody and he knows for a fact, God knows for a fact, that, God, that Christ's blood was not applied to them, then he knows they're not saved. Now... Part two of this is, you and I were born as weeds, okay? No, uh, nobody is born as wheat. Nobody is born saved. Everybody is born unsaved. Everybody is born in rebellion to God. 
Everybody is born an active, functional, full-throated sinner. And it is over time, as we hear things, as the Holy Spirit moves, some weeds become wheat. Some unsaved people become saved. And so, if I am in a situation... And I know that that person here or there doesn't really look saved to me. What's my job? What's my goal? It is to witness to them. It is to turn as many weeds into wheat that I can. And I do that by sharing Christ, by sharing the truth of the gospel. So we are not harvesters. We are not reapers. We are not judges. We are people who try to convince weeds to become wheat. Okay? And we do that by explaining Jesus Christ to them. And as I said before, my sermons are recorded. And my sermons are put up on the internet. And the internet goes everywhere. And that is our plan as a church to scatter seeds, just throw them out there. And I don't know who views it. There are ways to find out, but I don't pay for those services. I don't know who listens to it. I leave it fully up to God that if things are out there, that God will take this person or that person and they will hear what I'm saying and through it, they will become a believer. They will become wheat. And I hopefully, when we're all in heaven and we can look at people, there will be those who say, I'm here because of an email that was sent or because of a podcast that was put out or because of a YouTube video that was put out that we as a church put out and now they are believers. Now they are wheat. And so... The other part, or I guess the part two, is that I do not judge your salvation. But I need to be able to look in a mirror and judge my salvation. I am allowed, according to the New Testament, to determine if I'm saved or not. can't determine if you're saved or not, but I can determine if I'm saved or not. And there are tests, there are statements in the Bible that you read through and it says that a believer does this and a believer does that and the, the base list, the base fruit of a believer and at the end of all of these parables the, the true believers bear fruit. What is that fruit? That fruit is found in Galatians 5 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you are encouraged by Paul in his letters to look in a mirror and say, am I kind? And evaluate it. And think back, people in the church do they refer to you as a kind person? Or do they refer to you as a rough person? As a rude person? You can listen to these things. You can listen to these things 
not as judgments against you, but as insight into how effective your fruit is. Now, you can be very, very, totally, absolutely in the, God, in the palm of God's hand saved and have very tiny fruit. You can be very, very saved and have very huge fruit. The Bible never says, judge yourself on the quantity of fruit. The Bible just says, if you're saved, you're going to have fruit. You're going to be a little faithful. You're going to be a little gentle. You're going to have some self-control. You're going to be good. You're going to have some patience. Are you going to be perfect? No, because if you were perfect, you'd be God and you wouldn't be here. You're not going to be perfect, but it's going to be obvious and clear that from time to time, when the whole world is not peaceful, you're going to have peace. Or you're going to be patient with people that you weren't, didn't used to be patient with. You're going to be kind to people who you have no reason to be kind to. And as you look at this list, and I think as human beings, I know for me, I need a list. I'm going to forget. So... You memorize this, you write it down, you put it on the home screen of your phone, you do anything with it so that it's always in front of you, so that you look at it several times a day, so that you can pray, Lord God, make me more kind toward this person or this situation. And as you begin to pray these things, the Holy Spirit will begin to look. The point being, if you are wheat, you are saved, and there's going to be some of this evident sometime that you can point to and say, yeah, I really had self-control during this part where I used to get angry or something like that. And it will be evidence that you are wheat. Now, what happens to the two groups? Well, the weeds are sent to uh, thrown into the fiery furnace. We call that hell. The Bible calls it hell, Sheol, and the lake of fire are the three names given. It's not a happy, fun place. It says that there are weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a theme. Uh, that is what Jesus says occurs in torment, is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you study those words a bit more, the weeping is the confessing, repenting people who are in hell, who are in torment, will from time to time realize, probably more often than not, that they were wrong and God was right. I believe that education comes to them very early. And therefore they will repent. They will confess their sins. They may confess their sins in great detail asking for God's forgiveness, asking for the blood of Christ, weeping, crying, opening their hearts to God. The problem is that had to happen before they died. That had to happen while they were still walking the earth. That is the deal that God makes with us, is that you confess and repent and put yourself under the cross and the blood of Christ while you're still on this earth. 
when you're not, when you're in hell, it's too late. And people, because they have full information at that point, will of course repent and realize that they were wrong. The second part, gnashing of teeth, is when they realize that doesn't change anything, when they're still in torment, they begin to curse God and blame God and hate God because he didn't save them while they were on earth. It is a putting down God. It is a judging God. And that's what a lot of people do is they judge God because God is not behaving how we want him to behave. While the wheat, the saved people, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father who has ears, let him hear. If you take the statements about hell and the statements about heaven, it's about 10 to 1, hell versus heaven, details that are given. And that is because what heaven is, is immaterial. It's fantastic, it's great, but I don't need details because I can't conceive of the details. Oh, but I understand hell. I've been in torment. I've been in trouble. I've had traumas. I've had pain. I've had difficulty. I've had days when nothing worked. And you take that and multiply it by a hundred and that's hell. And so we have a connection because of our sin nature to hell. But heaven is kind of foreign to us. So it's just something that Jesus puts out there. And believe in him and voila, you end up at heaven when things are all done. And so we don't spend time wondering whether the guy next to you is wheat or a weed. We spend all of our time confirming that I am, that you are, self, are truly saved by looking at ourselves, by examining ourselves. And when it's all said and done, and Jesus Christ comes back, and all the harvest is done, and all the people are taken away, you will find yourself in the presence of God, and it says here, shine like the sun. Your sin will be removed, and you'll shine. You'll reflect the light of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I just praise you for this parable. I praise you to know that there will be a time when all this fighting and all this difficulty and all this problem will be gone and we will stand shining like the sun in your presence. We will be able to fully reflect your glory because our sin will have been removed. Lord, I praise you for that and I pray that we will think of this every day and we will work toward this knowing that your glory is our glory at the end of time. Lord, we thank you for this and ask your blessing at the end, rest of the day. Ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.